Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by a special guest. I have so many questions. Nowhere to find answers. Are there answers? What's the point? Why am I here? Lonely? Nobody's real. Nobody Nobody cares. cares. I'm so alone. So tired. Bullied. I'm just a joke. I don't know who I am. I can't be myself. There's too much pressure stuck to a screen. I'm too ugly, fat, weird, unpopular, anxious, out of control, escaping in my room. If there is a God, he must be cruel. I don't think he cares. God is a lie. I don't think I can go on. I don't want to be alone anymore. I feel so lost. Forget that. That's not me. I am ready to take this world on. My friends aren't fake. My faith is real. Because somebody dared to share with me. With me. With me. With me. So we're not alone. There's a spark spreading. A fire building. A movement coming. Can you feel that? And we're leading it. Yeah, us. Surprise. That's right, gonna turn heads, gonna change lives. We're gonna change the whole world. Because we're fearless. And now we all dare. We dare to go. To reach. Transform. We dare to start a revolution. A gospel revolution. How many of you guys are ready for the gospel revolution? Let me hear you. I said, how many of you are ready for the gospel revolution? Let me hear you. Come on, church. Now I'm talking. Now we're talking. Now, my name is Greg Steer, and I believe there's going to be a gospel revolution. I believe an army of young people God's going to raise up across across the states, around the world. I believe we're going to see revival. I'm tired of reading about revivals of the past. I want to experience one in my life. You know, in the last 300 years, every major awakening in America has had teenagers on the leading edge of that awakening. Did you know that? Why? Because God loves to choose to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I believe God wants to raise up a generation of young people. That's what happened uh, this last weekend at Ignite. It was awesome. Uh, That's what happened the last two years at Dare to Share Live. Uh, We were able to see with Dare to Share Live, this live simulcast event. Last year, 93 cities from Fairbanks, Alaska to Puerto Rico. Live worship bands in every room, live trainers in every room. 
9 a.m. West Coast start, noon East Coast start, simultaneously train thousands of teenagers from 500 churches to get trained, equipped, and mobilized to take that gospel out and ignite their communities with the hope of Jesus Christ. And we are supported by the prayers of God's people. So we're doing it again on October 12th. I'm going to ask you and invite you to be part of our Air Force, our prayer force. Be praying for this next generation. Be praying for the students that were trained and equipped this last weekend because it is time. We need revival in this nation now more than ever. And the gospel is what brings that revival And we are the ones that bring the gospel to others. We, not just me, not just teenagers, all of us. And I thank God that somebody did that with my family so many years ago. You see, I don't come from a typical religious, church-going, pew-sitting, hymn-singing family. I come from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco-chewing, beer-drinking thugs. And that's just the women, sadly. I mean, uh... No, seriously, three of my uncles were title-winning bodybuilders. The fourth one could bench press 500 pounds. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer. I don't know what happened to me. I was at the bottom of the gene pool, right? But my family was tough, so much so that the, the mafia in our town nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. So when the mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional, it's not good, Right? And we lived in the highest crime rate area of our city. On Friday night, mom used to say, you want to watch cops? If I said yes, we'd get in the car and we'd follow the cop cars, seriously, to the scenes of the crime in our neighborhood. We didn't watch the show cops. We lived the show cops. But then one day, a preacher from the suburbs, whose nickname was Yankee, he spoke with a southern accent, but his nickname was Yankee, on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly who was a believer in Yankee's church but was too afraid to share Christ with my Uncle Jack. Bob dares Yankee to share Christ with my Uncle Jack. Now you got to understand, my Uncle Jack been in prison for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. My Uncle Jack, here's a guy, I think we got a picture of my Uncle Jack. There's my Uncle Jack. Just so you, he kind of looks like the Wolverine, right? I mean, look at him. That's my Uncle Jack, in and out of jail his whole life. You could see why Bob Daly was embarrassed and ashamed to share Christ with him. He didn't know if Jack would kill him. So he dares Yankee. Yankee was fearless. Yankee came from the suburbs into the city, knocked on my Uncle Jack's door. Jack came to the door, no shirt on, right? Tattoos everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. He didn't want to get those mixed up. My Uncle Jack talked like this. He goes, what do you want? Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. He goes, well, I don't know Jesus, but I don't know Bob, so I'll give you five minutes. He invites him in. They sit at the kitchen table. And Yankee explains, not religion, but a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to die for sinners just like Jack. And Yankee put it in a way that was simple enough for my Uncle Jack to get. And at the end, Yankee said, does that make sense? And my Uncle Jack didn't know any better. He said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer. was hell yeah. (laughs) Not a good sinner's prayer, right? But he put his faith in Christ in that moment, and he started telling everybody about Jesus. And if they didn't take Jesus, my Uncle Jack may give them Moses right upside their head, right? (laughs) 
Didn't know the rules about loving your enemies. One time he's in a sauna sharing Christ with another bodybuilder, and there's a guy from a different religion in there that wants to interrupt and argue. My Uncle Jack doesn't know the rule yet about love your enemies. So he turns to this guy and goes, yo, quit interrupting. I'm trying to tell him about the love of Jesus. Shut your stinking mouth, all right? You got it? He continues to share Christ. The guy interrupts again. He goes, yo, one more time. I'm taking you out. He continues to share Christ. The guy interrupts again. Bam! Jack just hits this guy. The guy falls to the ground, looks up and goes, well, Jesus didn't go around hitting people like that. He goes, well, I ain't Jesus. I'm Jack. All right? Didn't know the rules yet. My Uncle Jack had to tell people about Christ. He brought 250 people out to Yankees Church in one month. No kidding. Thugs and bodybuilders and tough guys and brought 250 people out because he wanted everybody to know. He went outside to get everybody inside, right? One day he was driving down the street on a Sunday morning. My Uncle Jack gets what he calls the itch. Now before he came to Christ, the itch meant he wanted to get in a fight with somebody. After he's, I got to tell somebody about Jesus. He's driving down the street on a Sunday morning. He gets the itch. He goes, man, I got the itch. I got to tell somebody about Jesus. We're some people that need Jesus on the Sunday morning. He drives past a Mormon church. He goes, oh, yeah, they're in there. He pulls the car in to the Mormon church parking lot. No kidding. Goes in. Hey, where's the newcomer Sunday school class? Down the hallway to the right. He goes down the hallway to the right. 25 new Mormons getting trained in Mormonism. He's like, I'd like to share my testimony. Well, they think he's a new Mormon. Well, come on down. He stands up. And he shares his testimony, all right, and he gives the gospel, and he gave an invitation. And 18 of the 25 new Mormons became new Christians that day because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I could tell you story after story after story of my family members coming to Christ, being radically transformed. But let me tell you, it all started. It all started when a preacher got out of his office, got out of the church building, went into the city, went into the the toughest part of the city, and reached my family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not just on the preachers. It's on us. We're called to go outside the camp, outside the church. And today we're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 15. We're going to see how all of us are called to go outside the church, outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 11 through 15. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us go to him, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Outside the camp. Now, what is this camp? The writer of Hebrews is referring back to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness after they'd been delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea and they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. There's a wandering camp, right? It's two and a half million people wandering throughout the wilderness in this camp. That camp was their social center. 
Because it kind of was. I mean, it was, it was a camp. I mean, even the tabernacle was kind of this tent, right? And they stayed in tents. I want you to imagine being with family and friends in this giant camp. Imagine the cookouts, the laughter, the fighting, the fun. It was a party. It was camp, right? And it was also their worship center. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It represented the presence of God. Later on, 1 Chronicles 16, 4, Levites are appointed to sing. So just imagine the music, the celebration of God. The presence of the Lord hovered above the camp in the daytime in the form of a cloud. In the nighttime, a pillar of fire. So the presence of God was there to keep them um, from, from getting the desert sun uh, on them during the day and to keep them warm at night. The presence of God was there. What's the application for us? Well, we kind of sense a little bit of that here, right? It's a social center, the church. Uh, we make friends. Hopefully you make friends at church. Hopefully you're in Bible study and you're growing together and, and having cookouts and enjoying each other. But it's also a worship center. The presence of God is now in us, which is even cooler because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so here we are, man, inside the camp. It's awesome. But our primary call, here's the point of the passage, our primary call is not inside the camp. It's outside the camp. I'm going to read this passage again. I want you to listen to it with the ears of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13, 11 through 15, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. We're going to see in this passage there are three who are called to go outside the camp. The first is this. The high priest went outside the camp. In the Old Testament, the high priest went outside the camp. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go outside the camp. Here's what it says in Leviticus 16, 27. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and offal guts are to be burned up. So what would happen on the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement, the high priest would make a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people of Israel. They would kill the animal. Um, They would take the blood from that animal, sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. Then that high priest would gut the animal, take take the fat and the kidneys out, burn those on the altar, and then take the carcass outside the camp. And outside the camp, you would burn the hide, the flesh, the guts outside the camp. And I don't know if you've ever smelled the smell of burning flesh. It is not a pleasant smell. So, you know, number one, we know outside the camp, at least on the Day of Atonement, it stunk outside the camp. Matter of fact, there's a lot of descriptions about what life was like outside the camp. The Israelites wanted to stay inside the camp because it wasn't so pleasant outside the camp. One, it was diseased. Luke I mean, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, that's where lepers were forced to live outside the camp. Now, what is a leper? It was somebody who had this extreme skin disease. And if you had leprosy, 
uh, in, in this time period, you'd be forced to live outside the camp, right? So when you went outside the camp as an Israelite, you knew there were lepers out there. It was disease. It was also dangerous. Deuteronomy 7.22 says there are wild animals outside the camp. We know there are enemies uh, outside the camp. It was diseased. It was dangerous. It was disgraceful. Numbers 12.14 talks about going outside the camp for up to seven days as a punishment. It's like a low-level Jewish timeout for breaking some of God's commands. So it was a disgrace if you had to stay outside the camp for seven days. And it was disgusting. Some verses in Scripture, you just can't believe they're there. Well, this is one of those. Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 13. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. Thus saith the Lord. Right? All right. It's right there in Scripture. Outside the camp was a latrine for two and a half million people. So let's sum this up. Outside the camp, your nose would be accosted by the smell of burning hide. Your eyes assaulted by the sight of oozing lepers. Your heart would be pumping because of the fear of the enemies and the danger. And your feet would be tentative because somebody may have forgotten their shovel that day. Suffice it to say, you did not want to hang out outside the camp. The high priest went outside the camp. Jesus lived and died outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, Jesus wasn't only crucified outside the city, outside the camp, outside Jerusalem. He ministered there. And just like outside the camp in the Old Testament, where the diseased were, Jesus went out to where the diseased were. He touched the diseased. Mark 1, 40-42, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now this was a no-no, but Jesus did it. He reached out on his hand and touched the man. I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. You were not supposed to touch a leper. Jesus touched the leper outside the camp. I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to think of what is the equivalent of a leper in our society. And I would say homeless people. Because many tend to avoid homeless people. You see them in the street and you kind of cross the street, you pull up to a stoplight, you see somebody with a sign, kind of just not give eye contact. Hopefully they don't come to my car. And we tend not to want to be around them. We want to tend to avoid them. But Jesus engaged those that others avoided. I wanted to, I was a youth leader many years ago. I wanted to teach uh, our middle school what it meant to go outside the camp. Because I lived in the hoodiest part of the hood in my city, right? And they were all from the suburbs, middle class, upper middle class. And I'm like, it's time for a field trip into the city. And we're going we're gonna to serve the homeless. So I cast the vision for it. Sunday night, we're going to gather together. Come on out. Well, the only ones who showed up were middle school girls. God bless middle school girls, right? Some of them had food. Some of them had clothes. Some of them had blankets. We we're going to look for homeless people and minister to them and pray with them, share Christ with them, and give them the stuff. 
we're driving in a church van, community Baptist church van. We're like, you know, kind of drive by, you know, a ser- you know, service project, try to look for people. We're looking under bridges. We can't find anybody. We're getting frustrated. And finally they yell, there's one. And there was a guy laying on a grate trying to keep warm, homeless guy. And before I could stop him, they all piled out of the church van with all the stuff. And they surrounded this guy while he was laying down. And I remember him getting up, looking around, thinking he's going to get mugged by a bunch of middle school girls from the suburbs. (laughs) And one girl comes up. He goes, what's going on? One girl comes up and gives him all the blankets. Not one, all the blankets. So I'm like, oh no. Then the other girl comes up and gives him all the jackets, all the coats. And then the other girl with all the food comes up and gives him all the food. And he's standing there looking at them. And he says, why are you doing this? And I'll never forget. One girl said, because we love Jesus and we love you. And they charged him. And they held him. And they hugged him. And I'll never forget watching that man with tears streaming down his face. Because in those arms, he felt the love of Christ, maybe for the first time in his life. Outside the camp. There are so many people hurting in our world. And it's not just the homeless, it's the hopeless. Could be that person in a cubicle next to you. Could be that teenager at that school cafeteria that you go to school with that's sitting by themselves outside the camp. Jesus touched the diseased. He ministered in a dangerous way. Mark 3, 6 says that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. Why? Because he preached this radical message of God's grace. He suffered a disgraceful and disgusting death. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the one who ministered and then died outside the camp. Have you ever wondered why Jesus died? Listen. Jesus loves us. He created us to be with him. But our sins, they separate us from God. And those sins, they could never be removed by good deeds. So God sent his own son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus, the son of God, became the son of man. And as a fully God and fully human, he lived a perfect life we could never live. And then he died the disgraceful death that we deserved. And he screamed out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbathani on the cross, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, the Father took all of his wrath for all of our sin, and he poured it out in full measure on his own son. And Jesus screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was suffering in our place for our sin. And then he screamed the three words that would change the course of humanity. It is finished. And then he died. The ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice. And he rose again from the dead. The living Son of Man, Son of God. And now he's in this room offering you and me and anybody who receives it the gift of eternal life.
It's not by trying. It's not by good deeds. It's not by blood, sweat, and tears. Not the blood of countless animal sacrifices. The sweat of trying to obey God's commands. The tears of contrition. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. And if you came here today and you don't know that you have a relationship with God, that your sins are forgiven, that you're going to go to heaven someday and that you have a purpose on life from God today, you can know it. We're not done with the sermon, but I want to pause right now and give you an opportunity. Can everybody bow their heads and close their eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you came here today and you don't know for sure that God is your heavenly Father, that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home, you can know it. Right now, put your faith in Jesus. You can say this simple silent prayer in your heart to God after me. Dear God, I've sinned. I fall short. I can't be good enough to make it into your perfect presence. But I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. And I received that gift of eternal life through faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, if that made sense for the very first time, you're part of God's family if you put your faith in him. Not because you said a prayer, but because you trusted in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. I'd like to know who you are so I can pray for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that made sense for the very first time and you trusted in Jesus today, can you raise up your hand and put it right back down? God bless you. Anybody else? I'm trusting in Jesus. Just raise up your hand and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Yes, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm receiving that gift. Just raise up your hand and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Everybody look up. You know what just happened in this room? If they were serious before God, they put their faith in Jesus. Five or six or so people were just adopted into the family of God. They became part of our family. Let's welcome them into the family of God. Welcome. Welcome home. And if you were one of the ones who put your faith in Christ, even if you didn't raise your hand, right, let somebody know, today I believed in Jesus. It clicked. Welcome to the family of God. The high priest went outside the camp. Jesus ministered and died outside the camp. Now here's the punchline for us as believers. We're invited to join him outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. I love those words. Let us then go to him. Where is Jesus? He's outside the camp. We tend to think that Jesus is here on Sunday morning pacing the stage, waiting for his kids to show up, waiting for the, the congregation to show up, and then when we're here, we can worship him. Yeah, he was here with us on Sunday morning, right? But he's out in the grit and the grime the rest of the week. He's at your workplace. He's at your school. He's standing next to that homeless person. He's outside the camp, and he's inviting us to go outside the camp. It's interesting to me that so many believers want to stay inside the camp. 
And then we just want to stay here. And we do so many things inside the church. And I'm, I'm pro-church. I was a pastor for 10 years. I love the church. But we have to have enough time to go outside the camp. I remember, I don't know how many of you guys remember Promise Keepers, the men's event. They used to, you know, fill arenas. Uh, years ago, probably 10 years ago or so, maybe more, I was invited to preach at a Promise Keepers event. Uh, in Baltimore, there's 10,000 guys there. I was all pumped up, right? So I got my speaker badge. I got in the speaker van, and I said, can you give me a ride? And they're like, uh, sorry, this is for speakers only. And I showed him my badge. I'm like, I'm a speaker. Because it said Greg Steer, speaker. He goes, I've never heard of you. I go, nobody has. But can you give me a ride? He goes, sure. So he gives me a ride. I get out. I try to get backstage. Sorry, speakers only. I'm a speaker. Oh, well, we've never heard of you. Nobody has. Please. They let me in. And I finally get to the stage. And there's 10,000 dudes all pumped up on Christ and caffeine, right? And, and they, it doesn't matter what you preach. I, for 30 minutes, I could have said, I love Jesus. How about you? And they'd be like, he's so deep. He's so deep. I mean, because they're just all pumped up, right? So I preach, and then I get back in the speaker van. They're going to take me back to the speaker hotel. And as we're leaving the arena, I saw a group of lesbians protesting right across from the arena. I knew they were lesbians because they had a giant sign that said, we are lesbians. And I'm like, lesbians, pull over. And the driver's like, lesbians? And he pulls over, and I get out, and I run across the street. I go, what are you guys protesting? They said, we're protesting promise keepers because they hate gays. I go, I don't hate gays, and I'm a promise keeper speaker. Showed them a badge, right? (laughs) They said, well, you think it's a sin? I go, I do. And they said, well, it's not. I go, you know what? We could argue about that all day. Let's set that aside. Let me ask you a different question. Have you ever sinned? They go, what do you mean? I go, have you ever lied? Yeah. Have you ever been selfish? Yeah. Have you ever cheated? Yeah. I go, hey, we got something in common. We both have lusted after women. And they're like, they start laughing. (laughs) And the walls come down. And for the next 30 minutes, we had a serious conversation about Jesus. None of them put their faith in Christ on the spot. But I guarantee you these many years later, they still remember that conversation that we had. But I had to go outside the camp. It'd be easier to stay inside the promise keepers with 10,000 cheering, singing men. But we got to go outside the camp. We got to go outside the camp. Why do we go outside the camp? To bear the disgrace he bore. What is this disgrace? It's that feeling of embarrassment that overwhelms you just before you know the Holy Spirit is prompting you to share the gospel with somebody. Some of you are like, well, you're a preacher. You don't get nervous. You know what? I get nervous almost every time I share the gospel. And I ask God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me that divine power. And then I open my mouth and I let her rip. You have the same Holy Spirit. Embrace this disgrace. Share the gospel. Why? Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. This is evangelism. Confessing his name. So let me ask you this question. Who is that person the Holy Spirit is placing on your heart right now that doesn't know Jesus? I want you to, I want you to pray a dangerous prayer right now. God, place a person on my heart right now. Could be your neighbor. Could be your classmate. Could be a coworker. Could be an old high school friend. Could be a family member. 
Could be that barista at that Starbucks you talk to every day when you pick up your coffee. Ask God through his Holy Spirit to put a name on your heart. And in just a bit, I'm going to give you what I call the 48-hour challenge. I'll explain that in just a few minutes. So why in the world would you be willing to take a risk to share the gospel with that one person the Holy Spirit's put on your heart? Because of Hebrews 13, 14. For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. You see, it's not about a It's not about a brick and mortar building. It's about the eternal city that you and I are going to someday, heaven. And in heaven, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have the presence of the Lord. We're going to have a party with a purpose. It's going to be awesome. The one thing we won't be able to do is go outside the camp. Because everyone outside the camp will be bound up in an eternal hell, day and night, forever and ever, without end. This is our one chance to rescue them. To be used by God to be his instruments of redemption. It's not just me. It's not just your pastor. It's not just Matt. It's you. You. Are you willing to go outside the camp? There's people all around us that desperately need the hope of Christ. I remember I was uh, at the grocery store 13 years ago, because my son's 18 now, he was five at the time, Jeremy. Sunday afternoon, I was trying to get home to watch the football game. And I'm hurrying with, uh, through the, you know, the aisles with my grocery cart. And I was going through the bottled water and juice aisle. And a lady, who looked like she was kind of messed up a little bit and discombobulated, she goes, sir, can you help me? I said, sure. She said, uh, I lost my glasses. Can you read the price tags on the water? I go, sure. So I showed her. And I'm trying to get out of there. She wants to talk. She goes, yeah, I'm just a mess. I lost my dog. My dog died. If it was her cat, I would have just kept moving like, bummer, life's hard. <laughs> huh? Buy a dog. But it was, it was her dog. So I said, What happened? She said, I had a one-year-old Great Dane pup, ran out in the middle of the street, got hit by a car. And then she started doing something that you should never do. If you're a woman, don't ever do this. She started crying. Like, and I don't, because we don't know what to do with that. Like, I'm like, please stop. No, we're in the grocery store. Don't. Stop, drop, and roll. I mean, I don't know what to say <laughs> to her, because she's tearing up, Right? And my son, he's five. He knows what to say. He goes, that's okay, lady. Your dog's in doggy heaven. You can go to heaven too. Daddy, tell her the gospel. I'm like, hey. Step, nope. Step. Okay. And I remember I trained Jeremy to share the gospel like a little kid can with the gospel hand. I go, you, tr- you show her. He goes, okay. He holds his hand. He goes, okay, lady, this is the gospel. God loves me. I have sinned. Christ died for me. If I believe, I'll go to heaven. He goes, if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven with your dog. And she's looking at him like he's a little freak, and so am I. (laughs) And then she starts wailing and weeping and screaming at the top of her lungs. I'm so mad at God. Now, everybody's looking at the meltdown in aisle nine. She goes, I bought, she goes, I lost my son to cancer. I bought a dog to comfort me in my grief. Both are dead now. I'm so mad at God. 
But now I'm in. I'm in. I get it. I said, ma'am, I can't understand how painful it would be to lose a son to cancer. But God understands what it means to lose a son. Meanwhile, my son, he won't shut up. He goes, that's okay. God loves me. I have sinned. I go, back it off, boy. This is what daddy gets paid to do, man. So I'm sharing Christ, and Jeremy's sharing Christ. And at the end, man, we literally collapse in each other's arms, and all of us pray together in the middle of the grocery store, invite her out to our church. It was a beautiful moment. I'm walking outside with my son. I look down at him. I said, Jeremy, I'm so proud of you because I was going to miss that opportunity. But you saw her with the eyes of Christ. And it was one of those special father-son moments. He goes, you proud of me, Dad? I goes, yeah. I go, yeah. He goes, you buy me some ice cream? Yeah, I'll buy you some ice cream. <laughs> See, my son was willing to go outside the camp and reminded me that I need to go outside the camp because that's where Jesus is at. So my question to you is, are you willing to go outside the camp? Are you willing to go outside the camp? Some of you say, I don't exactly know how to do that. Listen, we got a couple tools for you and resources. You know, you're talking to the Dare to Share guy. I'm like Liam Neeson and Taken. I have a very particular set of skills, right? <laughs> We're going to give you two things to help you. One is an app. It's called Life in Six Words, right? You just go to the app store and download it. It's free. There's 14 words somebody can choose from. They choose the, the words that would best describe their life in six and then you ask them why they chose those words. And then you, can I share with you the six words that the Bible describes? And you just walk them through the gospel. It's like a digital track. Uh, so you can download that right now. If you're over the age of 50, just hand your phone to somebody younger. And they'll download it for you. The second resource we have for you is a book. It's called Life in Six Words. It's a beautifully designed book. And this book has got all sorts of pictures. It's designed for teenagers, but we have adults use it all the time. It's like a graphic novel that beautifully lays out the gospel. The two most important pages are the blank pages in front because that's where you write a note to your friend or your coworker or your neighbor. that says, hey, read this book. It's got a message that's powerful, and then let's talk about it. Then you give it to them and say, hey, read this, and let's have a conversation. So these are available uh, for your donation of any amount out in the hallway. Uh, every dollar, every dime goes to mobilize teenagers uh, for the gospel through Dare to Share. So these will be available afterward if you want to pick up one or two of these to pass on to someone else. So you got some tools and resources, the app, the book, but now you need the commitment. So I'm going to ask you one more time to bow your heads and close your eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to give you the 48-hour challenge. What is the 48-hour challenge? Will you begin this gospel conversation with somebody else within 48 hours? Maybe that means give them a book or invite them out to, life, uh, to, to Easter, to the Easter services where the gospel will be given. Or, or to walk them through the app. Or just to bring it up. But will you take the 48-hour challenge? Why 48 hours? Because studies show if you don't do what you've learned within 48 hours, you'll never do it. Why 48 hours? Because I'm sick and stinking tired of Christians just talking about evangelism and not doing it. We're called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are willing, by God's grace, to begin that conversation in the next 48 hours, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand. But I want to challenge you 
to know that the Holy Spirit is in you to give you the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So the more unqualified you feel, the better because the Holy Spirit can take control. So if you are willing before God, by his grace, to begin that gospel conversation with that one person in the next 48 hours, will you raise your hand right now? Wow. Wow. Let me pray for you, Father. Thank you for these many who raised their hand to take the 48-hour challenge. Give them boldness. Give them clarity. Give them opportunity. I pray for those who didn't, Lord. I pray that you would stir in their hearts and help them to tear down any strongholds that may be there and that through your Holy Spirit, you'd give them that boldness as well. May this be a church of harvest, of new beginnings. And thank you for these many who had their new beginning today through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're doing through the youth ministry here, through Pastor Matt, through the youth ministry volunteers. Lord, may those revival fires that they are carrying, those torches, just set this place on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit atharvest.church.